0: Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it with me to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in Chapter 1. We're going to spend some time here this morning kind of working our way through a lot of reading, but it is going to be beneficial. So I just invite you to hang on and enjoy that with me. It's going to be a wonderful time of digging into the Word. I hope you've had a good week and a good Christmas season so far. I want to just take a moment to tell you thank you for praying for my family and I. We've had a, a crazy couple of weeks, but it's been a good couple of weeks. And Baby Reed and Mallory are both doing well, and they are resting and probably watching the live feed now. Who am I kidding? She doesn't watch when she's not here. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but... They they are both doing well and just appreciate your prayers and your calls and texts and all of those things they've meant the world to us so uh, thank you and just keep them coming they're doing well hopefully here in a couple of weeks you'll get to uh, meet little Reed here in person so we look forward to that but we have a, a great sermon this morning we're in the midst of an Advent series that we have called Stories of Christmas and we are talking about the story of Christmas and how God has invited us to wrap our story around His story so as we come today to Look at the stories of Christmas. We are in the midst of a season we call Advent. Now, if you don't have a church background, Advent sounds a little weird. Advent comes from a Latin word that literally means arrival. So what we are doing, we are thinking together and considering together the arrival of Christ and what that means. For us, as Pastor Bob taught last week, this was no last minute plan. Uh, There are times where I think that theology is pervasive. In fact, there's a real popular southern gospel song that says, Uh, And they searched through heaven and found a Savior. As if Jesus was like walking around and saw a help wanted ad and was like, huh, I guess I'll consider it. No, this was a plan that God was working. And in the fullness of time, Jesus came and interrupted human history to save and redeem a lost and fallen world. And today we're going to look at how in the midst of all of this. Craziness that happens in our world in the midst of that Christmassy phrase we use the hustle and bustle of the season Why do we use certain words only at Christmas? Have you noticed that like that's Christmassy language for we're busy right now Have you ever heard anybody say man? It's just the hustle and bustle of the summer, right? No, I don't know why we just reserved that for Christmas time good times I'm more worried about that than y'all. Obviously that's okay But in the midst of what is A really crazy, ridiculous, hustly, bustly season, whatever you want to call it. It's very counterintuitive for us to take time together to just stop and reflect upon what Jesus means to us. But that's really what Advent is. Advent and the Christmas season is almost designed to just make us stop for a few weeks and reflect upon the fact that Christ came to a fallen world to save and redeem it and to save us. So though this is very countercultural for us to stop, some of you are thinking about all the other things you've got to do today and this week and this month. The invitation of Christ today is for us to just stop down for a few minutes, open his word and reflect upon what this gift means for us. I hope that your family worship time is going well. The Advent guides you picked up, there's still some more back there if you weren't here last week. Uh, I hope those have been helpful for you. They are saturated in God's word and God's truth. They are designed to make you stop and think about the word of God and about what this gift Of Christ means for us. I'll just tell you as a father of small children, it's been tough. It's I mean, it's a very heavy uh, devotional with a lot of theology in there. But every day what we've tried to do is just have one line that the kids can repeat back to us. Uh, and yesterday it was that Jesus is the wisdom of God. If we want wisdom, we need Jesus. And the day before that, it was Jesus is our deliverer. And today it was Jesus wants us to serve. So I want to invite you, if you have young kids, if you're like me and you read through that and you're like, how am I going to teach this to my kids? Try to just grab one truth that they can remember. And if we do that every day leading up to Christmas, it's going to have an impact on your family. So I want to encourage you to do that. But just like our Advent guide, our messages here on Sunday mornings are saturated in the Word of God, and they're designed to cause us to stop and reflect upon the goodness of the Lord in this gift we've been given. So with all of that said, will you pray with me once again? And we're going to invite the Lord to help us as we navigate through these passages today. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you came. God, that we celebrate in this season your arrival into human history. Lord, and human history is really uh, not human history. It all belongs to you. It's your story, and God, you have been working on this from the beginning of time, and Lord, you knew even then that today we would be here as a church family gathered around your word. So I ask that you would do what only you can do in this time. Speak to our hearts, challenge us, change us, make us who you want us to be, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, speaking of Christmas, has everybody bought all of their Christmas gifts yet? See, yeah, that noise right there like is my soul makes that noise in this moment like, oh gosh, I don't know It stresses me out to think about it. Of course, you know I've had a little bit going on in my life the last couple of weeks, right? Uh, but we are not done yet, and I know that many of you may not be done Let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. We recognize that Christmas is not all about gifts, right? Okay, good <laughs> Everyone's like, eh, it pretty much is. Okay, sermons change No uh, we, we recognize that, but man, isn't that part of the fun of Christmas? Gifts are a fun thing. We enjoy giving gifts because in that moment we get to express our love and our gratitude to people. It's a fun thing to get to do is to give and receive gifts. And sometimes it can be stressful, but I will just confess to you that I really enjoy giving gifts. Particularly those moments when I nail a good gift. When I know it is the most whimsical, thoughtful, funny, Perfect, awesome gift that could ever be given. I love to give that gift. But let me just confess to you that sometimes I fail in that endeavor. Anybody else? Have you ever given a bad gift? I remember when I was a newly married man. Yeah, right? Uh, like I can that. You know that's not going to end well when you start with that. Uh, but anyways, the first Christmas that Mallory and I were married, she was a barista, Uh, that's so fancy. It means she worked at Starbucks, okay? And she, uh, made, made delicious hot beverages for people. I don't know what I was thinking, but for that Christmas, I got her a coffee maker. Nothing like helping your wife bring work home, right? Uh, just a really good, by the way, I would argue that was a great gift. We still use that coffee maker today, right? She's not here to dispute it. She's watching on the live feed. She's probably drinking a cup of coffee from that coffee maker. So, you know, hey. I nailed it, okay, if you're watching this, Mallory. So anyways, but the reality is we don't always give the right gift. There are no perfect gift givers on this side of eternity. But I don't know, for me, the most awkward part about bad gifts isn't when I give them, because it usually turns into like a joke. But it's very awkward sometimes when you receive a bad gift. Now, this is dangerous. Nobody look around. Have you ever received a bad gift? Don't look at them. They may be in here, all right? So receiving a bad gift can be a little bit awkward, right? And what's awkward about it isn't the fact that it's not what you want or anything like that, but it's the response that is expected when you open that gift in front of them, right? So there's the moment where you're like, oh, thank you, Aunt So-and-so, for another oversized coffee table book about antique cars, How did you know, you know, like the real generic ones, it just says like trucks on the top of it. It, Some of you have gotten that. All right. Uh, And some of you maybe have bought that to give to somebody. It's not too late. Take it back. All right. But there's that moment where we're like, oh, how do I respond to this? But I want us to talk this morning about the perfect gift giver. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the ultimate perfect gift that came. But let's just be real honest today. There are moments where we respond really well to that gift, where we are saying, Lord, thank you. We're filled of full of joy and hope and uh, just light and everything is amazing. But aren't there some moments where our response to the gift of Jesus is a little bit awkward and clunky, where it doesn't really look like we're responding to the gift of Christ? At the end of the day, though, I want us to see that God's grace is continually calling us one and all. Skeptics and believers, young and old, lost and found, to come and experience the greatest gift of all, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through uh, the Lord. He's going to give us this relationship, a relationship with a perfect God who created you for his purposes is possible through this gift of his son. Jesus Christ. So we're going to do this by looking at two stories today. Now, I know I missed a week Pastor Bob did a great job last week, uh, but you've heard the old saying, that, you know, if a preacher misses a Sunday, he's going to catch up for lost time. I promise you I'm not trying to do that today. The crowd's a little light today. I wonder if people were expecting that. They're like if there's ever been a day for the live feed, it's today, right? I'm not listening to that guy for, but we do have two sections of scripture, but we're going to move through them quickly. We're going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, and then read a little bit and talk a little bit about how people received the good news of the son of God. So let's dive in Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. The word of God says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zachariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child But the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now listen, this is crazy, shocking news. We're going to keep reading here in a second, but I want you to remember this is real life. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we find ourselves in these spots where we're kind of like, oh neat, and we read it almost like a fairy tale. This actually happened to this guy. So what is his reaction? Let's see it here starting in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zachariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable, able, unable to speak. Sorry, it sounds like me, unable to speak. Unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. For five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me, in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So this is the story of John the Baptist's parents finding out... The shocking news that they were going to have a son. Not only were they going to have a son, but he would be the forerunner to the Messiah. And I love the way this story happens. Zachariah served as a priest. Now, in this time, it wasn't like it is here today where a priest, a pastor actually is full time and the church provides for their needs and allows them to work. At this time, there were 24 groups of priests who worked a couple weeks a year and it was on a rotating basis. So they would come work their shift and go home. And they did that a couple of times a year. So Zechariah is actually in a very privileged position on where we find him in this passage because after a great deal of time he has the opportunity to be the one who is burning the incense. Now, the incense was outside of the holy of holies and the one of the primary jobs of the priest was to keep that incense burning. So this was an opportunity for him to do this, and it was something that didn't happen to very many people. Not many folks got to do this job because, again, there's 24 uh, groups, and these groups serve a couple times a year. So after several years of faithfully serving as a priest, God has chosen Zachariah to do a big job that is a big honor for a priest. You can imagine it says a multitude gathered outside as he had his time to burn incense. Maybe his family's there, the rest of the priests. Man, isn't that great? Zechariah finally got chosen to burn the incense. Man, that's good. So Zechariah, he's in there, he's doing his priestly duty, and all of a sudden an angel shows up. Now, I love the Bible specifically because of its honesty. Usually when we think about angels, you know, it's like, oh kind of nice little thing. And we have the Christmas pageant. You get like the cutest kid you can find, slap some styrofoam wings with glitter all over it. Right. And you're like, oh, look, it's a beautiful angel. But in the Bible, it's a very different picture when an angelic being shows up, isn't it? In fact, every single time the reaction is not, oh, the reaction is fear. The first words out of the angel's mouth every time is like, hey, man, get up. I got something to tell you. Like, fear not. That's almost the first thing an angel says every time. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Let me just tell you something, church. If an angel showed up right now in here, it would be crazy. We wouldn't go, oh, look, an angel. We would all be running out of here. The walls would have those silhouettes like you see on cartoons, right? I would be the one making it. I'm not even kidding. I'm not like the captain on a ship. I'm the first one out of here, y'all. Like, I'm just telling you right now, okay? I am getting out of here if that happens. So this is what happens to Zachariah. He's minding his own business in the middle of a big moment in his life. All of a sudden, an angel of the Lord shows up and gives him this crazy, crazy, shocking news. He says, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. Your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a baby. Not only are you going to have a baby, this baby will be the one to prepare the way for the Lord. That's huge news, isn't it? What a crazy announcement delivered in a crazy way. Remember, again, this actually happened to this guy. How would you respond if this happened to you this afternoon? How will Zachariah respond? Well, he was obviously confused. We would probably respond in a similar way. He asked this question, how can I be sure of this? Now, the language used here is not like, hey, give me the game plan. How exactly is this going to happen? This is coming from a place of doubt. This is Zachariah's way of saying, prove it. Show me that this is going to happen. How can I know for sure that this is going to go down? So the heart here is not at all, okay, well, I guess this is happening. I guess I need to go home and burn some incense. You know what I'm saying? Like That's not what's happening here. Instead, he's saying in this moment, how can we know this is going to happen? Show me a reason to believe you. How do we know that that's his heart? Look at the middle of verse 18. It says, For I am an old man. Now, guys, let me just tell you something. Learn from Zechariah. Don't do as he did all the way through this passage, but he scored some points here, didn't he? He said, I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. (laughs) Tells the angel, I'm, I'm so old. Like, I'm so seriously super old, and my wife will... She's, uh, you know, like advanced in years. <laughs> Do you see the doubting heart behind this statement? His reaction to this amazing news is, show me a sign. And then he's going to ultimately express doubt at the gift. This response had consequences. We see this in the text. Gabriel says, you want a sign? By the way, this is so me in my life. Like, uh, you need a, Lord, can you sh- sh- give me an additional sign? I know there is an angelic being standing before me, speaking on your behalf, but can you show me something so I can know this is legit? Isn't that incredible? That's what's happening in this text. Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand before God. That's Gabriel's, his first reaction out of his mouth is like, do you know who I am? Like, here's, I, I am the sign. And then he says, here's your sign. You won't be able to talk until the baby comes. Later in chapter 1, we see that he also appeared that he couldn't hear. They had to make signs to him and write stuff down so he could understand. There were great consequences to his actions here. Luke records what must have been a pretty funny scene. So the big moment's over. Now it's time for reception. I don't know if they had a cake out there or what, right? So uh, <laughs> the it's the over. Come on out of the temple. When he walks out of the temple... He can't speak. And I'm assuming he didn't walk out of the temple. He probably ran out those doors. He's freaking out. And the whole crowd is there. And he can't even explain what happened. He's trying. If he's like me, he's no good at charades. So he's just like, oh, angel, uh, I don't even know. But couldn't say anything. And they realized, man, something has happened to Zachariah. He's met with the Lord. So we see that the good news came, but the good news was resisted. He had a doubting response. Yet we're going to see later on in chapter one that despite his doubting, despite his doubt, God was still faithful to fulfill his promise. But I want to contrast that story we just talked about with the next passage, starting here in verse 26. We're going to see a very similar situation, shocking news delivered in a shocking way to a young girl named Mary. And what I want you to see is how Mary responds to this gift from God. Verse 26 And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her whom who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, listen to this response in verse 38. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So it doesn't take a lot of digging here to see the very clear contrast between these two stories. The same angel, Gabriel, is sent to Mary with similarly shocking news, except this time it's really even more impossible and potentially life-shattering for Mary. Can you imagine this young girl seeing an angel? And I'm sure that same fear fell upon her that fell on Zechariah but the angel greets her and says hello o favored one of the lord and i love right out of the gate we see this really humble response mary basically says o favored one who me and i love what the angel says this great amazing news you will have a son You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It would have been shocking enough to say, you're going to have a baby and disappear. But instead, not only are you going to have a baby, he is going to be the savior of the world who has been prophesied about from the very beginning. Shocking news. Notice something here as we compare this to the other story. In verse 34, Mary is going to ask a question too, isn't she? She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, don't miss this. She had questions too. I'm sure that she was very concerned about how this was going to go down. But the language doesn't indicate that this comes from a position of doubt. The language doesn't suggest that she's looking for a sign. Instead, even in the way she asked her question, the assumption is God is God. And if he's telling me he's going to do this, he's going to do it. My question is, how is he going to do it? How is this going to happen? And that is shown even more so in what she says in that verse we read a second ago. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. What a picture of obedience. I don't get it. I've got questions. I'm obviously concerned. But I trust the Lord. Think about this. What is Mary going to tell Joseph? She's betrothed to Joseph. That's like another level. Its Engagement doesn't really correspond with this. This is another level of engagement. For all intents and purposes, they're practically married, but they have not had any sexual relations yet. So for her to go to Joseph and say, so, uh, Joseph, I'm pregnant and it's God's baby. How's that going to go? A lot of risk involved here for Mary. In fact, in this time, this could have very well led to the end of her life, could have had her killed. And even best case scenario, possibly this relationship is destroyed. She's going to be an outcast of society. Yet in the midst of this, with all of her fears, her questions, the confusion, and everything that goes with it, Mary's response is submission. So we see two very different responses to God's incredible work. Both people received great news from the Lord, but there are two very different responses. So as we approach this season, I want to ask us the question as a church family, as individuals, as families, and as the church... As we think about this gift that has been given, Jesus Christ, have we responded appropriately to him? Have we heard the good news and responded by living lives of worship to God? This morning, the gift has been given. And I believe that the Lord is waiting on some of us to respond to him. I want to point out a couple of important things about responding to Jesus that I think we need to hear that arise out of this text and I think are important and instructional for us to understand as we walk through this. First of all, as we think about how we respond to Jesus, the first thing you need to know today is that questions are welcome. Questions are welcome. We've already acknowledged that both Zachariah and Mary had questions. And what I want us to see is that God is big enough For our questions, it's okay to have questions in this life. In fact, if you think you have all the answers, just wait around a few minutes. You're deceiving yourself and you'll find something will happen in your life and you're not going to understand and you will end up wrestling with some serious questions. What I love about both of these scenarios is that these are two people who are seeking the Lord, are they not? One of them's a priest who had been faithful in his service to the point that the Lord selects him to do this honoring thing. And then Mary is referred to as a favored one of the Lord. Two people who really are sound spiritually, seeking God, yet they both have some serious questions. You need to understand something today. If you are seeking God, you will encounter some questions. If you are seeking the Lord today, you are going to encounter some questions. And listen to me. That's okay. That's okay. The question about your questions, though, is this. Where do your questions lead you? You see, Zechariah's questions led him to a place of doubt. And essentially, questioning God's ability to even come through. But Mary's questions lead to submitting to God's plan. She says, I am your servant. Do what you're going to do. As we think about responding to Jesus, it doesn't stop with asking questions. Don't get stuck in this trap. There are a lot of people who I think when you're hearing this part of the message, you're like, amen. It is okay to have questions, but you spend your life sitting around only having questions and never moving from that spot. And that's not healthy for us either. We see that our questions can lead us to a couple of ends here. Think about this. Somewhere along the way, we've got to be a people who move from. Our questions to submitting to God. But that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to allow our questions to lead us to submitting to God. Here's why that's difficult. Look at Mary. Her question is, okay, so uh, I'm a virgin, so how's this going to happen? That's basically your question. Like, you're saying I'm having a baby, but here's a problem with that. From what I know, that's not going to happen. And notice what Gabriel doesn't do. He doesn't say... Okay, cool, Mary. Let's go grab a cup of coffee. I'll kind of walk you through the process. Let you know what's going to happen. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, here's a manual. Here's how the incarnation's going to happen, right? Uh, we'll just work from there. If you have questions, email me. He doesn't do any of that. Here's his answer. This is as churchy of an answer as it gets. How, you know, how's this going to happen? The Holy Spirit. That's as much info as he gets. Essentially, rely on the Lord. The Holy Spirit. And in a shocking moment, she says, Okay. Okay. Somewhere along the way, even though we still have questions, even though we still have concerns, hurts, fears, things that are trying to hold us back, we've got to become a people fully submitted to God. We have to have a moment in our lives where we say, I am the servant of the Lord. Do to me according to your word. Whatever you want from me, I'm in. I'm ready. My life belongs to you. Do you see how this is a freeing moment? I've been praying that the Lord would bring freedom into this place today. The results of this are really interesting to me. Both people receive amazing, yet very difficult to understand and comprehend news. News. This is a shocking moment for everybody involved. They have some serious questions that are going in their heads and their hearts. But Zachariah's questions led him to a place of bondage. He couldn't even speak. He couldn't hear. He couldn't really respond. Life as he knew it was essentially on hold for several months. Yet we see Mary's questions leading her to a place of submission. And she had questions, yet she handed them over to the Lord and submitted to Him. And the result of that was worship. I love the song that Mary sings. I want to encourage you to read the rest of chapter 1 at some point today or this week. She busts into this epic freestyle. In verse 46 she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my soul rejoices within me. She still doesn't have the answers. There are still really tough days ahead. She's like, I don't even know how this is going to work out. I've got some serious questions and some serious fear. Yet I do know this. My soul magnifies the Lord and I rejoice in him because I trust him. And I've submitted my life to him and let it be to me according to his word. This is a beautiful, beautiful passage. We all have questions, but when our questions lead to doubt, we become a people in bondage. But the Lord is inviting us to let our questions lead to submission to Him, and that will lead us to a life of worship. Isn't that beautiful? Let's be honest, though, for a minute. I'm Zechariah, like. <laughs> All of the time. okay? can we just have this kind of moment like it's like, yeah, amen. I so want to be that. But I am not most of the time when I'm in the midst of difficult situations. You're not going to find me in my office or in my house saying. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to thy word. I don't know why I'd use an accent anyways, but, you know, you're with me. That doesn't happen in my life. I'm just like Zachariah. And the Lord has to treat me like Zachariah most of the time. The Lord has to say, hey, buddy, sit the next few plays out. Why don't you let the game come to you, buddy? What we need to recognize today is that when we are in the midst of life's difficulties, in the trials of life, in the frustration of life, that in that moment there is an opportunity for us to choose to trust in Jesus, to choose to rely on him and to let him do work in us. But here's what's great. Even though I consistently complain, even though I consistently grumble instead of worship, even though I am so Zachariah, God's grace is still big enough that he comes and finds me and brings me back. Verse 57, we're told that despite Zechariah's boneheadedness, that God still is faithful. He delivers on his promise. John is born, and when he's born, there's a debate about the name. What are we going to name him? We've got to name him something. And Elizabeth says, let's name him John. And they say, well, wait a second. Nobody in this family's is named John. We can't name this kid John. And then there's Zechariah, who is signing, writing, flailing, desperately saying, no, the kid's name is John. I don't care what my in-laws say. Okay, I wrote that in the text, but you're, you're tracking with me. This once timid, doubtful man is now anything but. And the Bible says immediately, in that moment, when he takes that stand and says, No, the Lord has spoken. His name is John. In that moment, his ears and his mouth are opened anew. And he begins to praise the Lord and he sings this beautiful song again that we have recorded in the text. Here's what I love. God can take our questions and even our messed up responses and failures and in the end he can still turn them back to praise. Aren't you glad for that this morning? This gives me hope today. Because God is still in the business of taking messed up, struggling people and turning them into worshipers. Even those of us who have let our doubts, our fears, our struggles, our concerns run our lives into the grounds. God stands ready to call us back and make us worshipers. I know that we're approaching a a holiday season from many different perspectives. In a room this size, there are people who are walking into a very joyous, exciting time there are also some of you in here who are walking into perhaps the toughest Christmas season of your life. But can I tell you something today? The good news is that wherever you find yourself, Christ stands ready to do an incredible work in and through you this Christmas. He stands ready to stir slumbering hearts to worship Him in you. But it starts here with submitting to God. With letting Him have everything that we So I want us to have a moment today as individuals and as families and as a church As we respond in our response time here in a moment and as we go home the rest of this day I want each and every one of us to have some time today where we just sit down with the lord and say god I don't have it all figured out I don't know what this is going to look like. I've got questions But I do know that you are god Do your work in me. Use me for whatever it is you want to use me for. Can I tell you that if we did that, we would experience a Christmas unlike any other. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Some of you in here may not know Jesus and you felt his presence this morning. The call for you would be to submit your life to him for the first time. To come and experience the Savior and respond to this gift of Jesus. But there are a lot of you who are like the two people we looked at in this passage. They both knew the Lord, but life took sudden turns. My prayer for you is that all of us, by God's grace, would end up doing business with God this Christmas season. Will you respond to Jesus today? Lord, we are thankful for your word, thankful for the challenge that it brings us. God, it is our prayer that we would respond in a way that brings you honor and glory. Lord, we are your servants. Do to us according to your word.